glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 2, beginning verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Now, I think it's very interesting the order that the Spirit of God gave John to lay out these verses and these truths. Now, we dealt with sin over the last couple of lessons uh, in 1 John 1, verses 6, all the way down through 1 John 2, 2. It is abundantly clear that fellowship with God is not obtained Salvation is not obtained by sinless perfection. If a man says he has no sin, he's a liar. If he says, I have not sinned, he's a liar. John makes it clear in chapter 2 that even once you're a child of God, you still have sin and that the blood of Jesus Christ is what takes care of your sin. But how many of us know salvation and assurance of salvation are not the same thing? You can have something, but that doesn't mean that you have assurance that you have it. Uh, just because you don't have assurance doesn't mean you don't have it. I've known of a lot of preaching in my days that caused people who were saved to think they weren't because they got honed in on some facet of Christian development and said, if that's missing in your life, you're not saved. And they might use this verse to do that. Uh, and the fact is, if you're willing to ignore the commandments of God and blow through life and never keep His commandments, you say you know Him, these verses say you're a liar. But I want us to listen very carefully to what is said in 1 John chapter 2 uh, regarding knowing that we are, uh, that we know him. How do we, we need to know him, but how do we know that we know him? And he's going to get into the fact that our obedience to the Lord is the basis of our assurance. You find me, a, a child of God that is wrestling with assurance of their salvation, normally there's going to be one of two things going on. Number one, and there may be, you may explain it in more ways than this, Number one, that person is in spiritual conflict and may be oppressed by the opposition of Satan. Uh, so, so, for instance, they have been fought against and they are embattled spiritually and Satan is fighting against their mind, accusing them. That is often the person that's doing right and Satan is seeking to discourage them by laying doubt on their salvation. How many of you know this? How does Satan get you to doubt your salvation? Where will your focus be when you're wondering whether or not you're saved? It'll be on yourself. What did I do? Yeah, I got news for you. If I think of my salvation from the standpoint of, um, did, I, did I pray the right words? Well, praying the right words doesn't save you. If I think, did I, did I, do I remember it correctly? Well, my memory doesn't save me. If so, when you get Alzheimer's, you have a problem. <laughs> my memory doesn't save me. Jesus Christ saves me. But Satan likes to get our focus on what we did. And even if we believe the truth about salvation, it's by faith in Christ. Did I really have sincere faith? I, I don't know. Uh, you know I, I'll say this. When the Lord has saved you, he's going to bring you back to Christ. 
again and again and again because that's he's the one you trusted. But I will say this. when So I said, first of all, Satan will attack the sincere individual and get you to focus inward and assault the mind. And I believe there are sincere people who doubt because of circumstances, like John the Baptist. Secondarily, though, probably the primary reason people doubt is disobedience in the life. When a child of God is disobeying, our conscience tells us something's not right. We know something's out of order. And so John's going to deal with that tonight. And again, he's exposing especially those among them that said we're believers, but they had absolutely no regard for the commandments of Jesus Christ. May I say we have that going on today. Let me just say that in the same context that this is said, there are people today who say, I'm a believer as well. I am, I am, a, uh, I am a firm believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we love him too. The Bible says they profess that they know him, but in works they deny him that's a mark of the end times is and seducers in the last day is they will profess to you oh yes i believe in the virgin born son of god oh yes i believe in the finished work of calvary oh yes but when it comes to his commandment on their life his his authority and his commandment doesn't touch any aspect of their behavior they couldn't care less what he says about baptism. They couldn't care less what he says about loving your enemies. They couldn't care less what he says about lasciviousness and fornication and adultery and uncleanness. No, I, I just believe in him. So in their mouth they profess him. In works they deny him. And so I believe John, again, is doing two things. He is exposing false professors among them who are trying to seduce them while at the same time seeking to secure them and give them confidence in the faith that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ and in what Christ had done for them. So, again, tonight we're going to consider verses 3 through 6, and let's listen closely to how these verses are given. I began by saying it's interesting the order he gives. Before he begins to deal with obeying his commandments, he establishes that obedience to Christ's commandments or keeping his commandments is not equal to sinless perfection. You must understand that keeping Christ's commandments does not equal sinless perfection. You and I are going to need correction by the Holy Spirit of God until the day we get a new body. That is not an excuse for sin. We should never excuse sin. But if you with your entire heart throw yourself wholeheartedly at obeying Christ, you're still going to need corrected for sin in your life. That's why the blood of Jesus Christ was shed. So the, the dealing with our sin is the blood of Christ. But the obtaining and the maintaining of fellowship is through obedience. And so then let's look at verse 3. He says, and hereby, so he's just dealt with what the propitiation for our sins is. Our keeping commandments is not the propitiation for our sins, but the blood of Christ. Verse 3, and hereby do we, we do know, get a hold of that. And hereby we do know that we know him. Hereby we do know that we know him. He didn't say, and hereby do we know him. He said, hereby we do know that we know him. Here he goes on to say, if we keep his commandments. You say, I really want to know and have assurance or understanding that I know him. This is rocket science. You know what you need to do? Do what he says. When you obey God, it assures your soul that you know him. It's that simple. It, you know, I, I keep saying, we complicate the Christian life so much. Because what happens, why does the, the Christian life get complicated? Well, number one, we have a deceiver called the devil who wants to complicate everything that he may confuse us. And remember what Paul said, we preached on, on Sunday, 2 Corinthians 11, that he feared lest by any means as the servant beguiled Eve, they should be, uh, they should be robbed or, or taken away from the simplicity that is in Christ. The singleness of heart and mind of, you know what, I trust him, I obey him. Like the song we just sang, I trust him, I obey him. Trust 
is manifest by our call unto Him for salvation. It's manifest by obedience, but this is the simplicity of it. If we wish to have confidence in our fellowship, it's a matter of obedience. And so let's break that verse down a couple parts and we'll move on. He says, yet again, verse 3, and hereby, so based on this, we do know that we know Him if, big word, two letters, but a big word, if, we keep his commandments. Let me read you a few verses out of John. I'm read through them quickly. You may want to jot them down. We're not going to tur- take time for everybody to turn there right now. But uh, repeatedly the Lord Jesus Christ connects the keeping of his commandments with fellowship or abiding in him. John 14, 15, we all know so well. If you love me, keep my commandments. I, I, I think every child of God needs to get this deeply, deeply ingrained in their heart and their mind. I show love to Jesus Christ by obedience. You know what? If I give, the only reason not to give is because I know it's what he wants me to do. You can give to, to the Lord, but the Lord Jesus Christ ha- has one way that he has repeatedly said, here's how you demonstrate love for me. Obey me. Obey me. Obey me. So John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them... He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me should be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John fifteen ten. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How do we abide in the love of Christ? How do we abide in that, that close fellowship? By obedience, by obedience, not by scholasticism, not by uh, entrepreneur uh, work for him, not by doing great things for him. I think we get the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to go out and do great and mighty things for him. He's doing great and mighty things. What we need to do is obey him. He may use me in a way that men see that it's great. He may use me in a way that no one will ever know he did something great with me until we get to heaven. So we don't need to go, we don't demonstrate love for Jesus by, like we do for each other. I'm going to do something extravagant for him. No, he just wants us to obey him. That's all. You remember Peter and John? Peter was told, you're going to die a martyr's death. He said, what about John? And Jesus said, what is that to thee? You realize John did not die a martyr's death. He was persecuted, but he died of old age. Why did one die a martyr and the other of old age? Because that was the Lord's plan. That's up, that's up to him. Why did the first century Christians suffer so much and we've not suffered as much? It may be because we don't stand as firmly as they did. But the fact is we're also blessed by where we live. But what we do need to do is obey him. Uh, and that's, that's the mark and the, the, that is the mandate for fellowship. 1 Corinthians 7.19, I wanted to give this verse because I think it puts this, this into context, this matter of keeping his commandments. 1 Corinthians 7.19 says, Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. What he's saying is, it's not about whether or not you're circumcised or uncircumcised. What matters is, are you keeping his commandments? Now, what does it mean to keep his commandments? Does that mean you never, ever fail to forget something he told you or, or you, don't, uh, you don't fully obey? What does it mean to keep his commandments? That word keep means to keep the eye upon, to, to set a watch. Jesus said uh, uh, to, to watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation, to be sober and vigilant. So the idea is to keep your eye on, to not be forgetful of, to maintain. Now you understand, when you're driving down the highway and the speedometer's there, if you're going to keep the law, 
You're going to keep the law. Does that, does that mean that you're, we, we used this illustration, I think, just last week, that you're never going to exceed the speed limit at all? What it means is you're going to keep watching that speedometer to make sure that your conduct is consistent with the sign on the side of the highway. You're mindful. How many of you have ever been driving on the highway and you quit thinking about the, the speed limit sign? And you look down and you're doing 60 and all of a sudden the sign says 45. <laughs> Here's what keeping, you know what keeping the law there means? Once I see that I'm doing 60, I adjust my conduct to match that sign. It doesn't mean I'm sinless in my execution. It means I'm regarding of that law as an authority on my life and I adjust my conduct accordingly. Here's where some people are. They could not care less what Jesus Christ has to say. And they say they're brethren. They're not. That's what John says. Those who keep not his commandments. So let me ask you this. If I said, oh, I'm a law-abiding citizen. You say, what do you think about speed limits? I couldn't care less. What do you think about, um, you start naming the laws. What do you think about this law? I don't care. Well, then you're not a law-abiding citizen. I mean, honestly, if you say, I, none of the laws have any bearing on my life, which I couldn't care less. I will do what I want, and I will conceal my conduct no matter what, because I'm a law to myself. Well, then you're not a law-abiding citizen. Even so, someone says, I know him. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I know him, but they won't, they don't keep his commandments. They don't keep their eye on what he has to say. They don't adjust their life to please him. Something's missing. That's what John's saying. So verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. There is a blessing that's given there. There's a blessing of assurance. We can know that we know him. But there's a basis of that assurance and that knowledge or that understanding is through obedience. We are often our own worst enemy. We are often the creators of our own doubt. We know what the Lord has said, but we, we stop, we don't, we don't observe, we don't think about what he's saying. Or we go through seasons of time that we're not, we're not as, as, uh, we're not as sensitive to the commandments of the Lord and we rob ourselves of assurance. So hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Again, I'll say, say, boy, I really want assurance of my salvation. Well, then just obey the one you've believed in. That doesn't save you. It doesn't make you more saved, but it does cause you to know that you know him. All right, so number one, the condition of confidence that we must keep his commandments. Then number two, in verse four, we come to a contradictory communication. I've alluded to this already, but in verse four it says, he that saith, now John uses that term over and over. There are obviously some people among these people saying a lot of things. Now in our world today, they may not be in the local assembly, but it's not hard to be affected by people that say a lot of things about the Lord. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Boy, John is a pretty straightforward person. He said that back in 1 John 1. If a man says he has no sin, he's a liar. The truth is not in him. And then he says this, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And again, that keeping has to do with observing, with regard and respect. Uh, I understand uh, we'll go through times of chastisement to get us back into that. But there are people, as I've stated, who do not care what the Lord says. They find every way around it. They excuse it. There are people today who live lascivious lives. They live immoral lives, immodest lives, indecent lives. It doesn't bother them. And they say, that's what the grace of God does for me. I don't feel compelled to live inside of any kind of boundary. 
May I say this, under the law, fear gripped men, the fear of death gripped men to adjust their lives to God's law, but it could not redeem them. They could not produce what God commanded. But under grace, the goal is still the same, obedience to God. Grace did not change the goal from obedience to disobedience. Grace enables us to do what the law could not. The grace of God in forgiving us and clearing our conscience enables us to live obedient lives to Christ. And people today that teach that the grace of God dismisses a life of obedience are teaching unruly, lawless lives, and I fear they don't know God because they're teaching people to disobey the Lord Jesus Christ. May I say this? When you trust Him and you love Him, guess what you do? You keep His commandments. That's what John's saying. This is a contradiction. You, these people that say, I know him and won't keep his commandments, don't regard what he has to say, disregard that, live their lives their way. They're liars and the truth is not in him. So the claim is we know him. They claim to know him. Uh, the conduct is a contradiction. As I said, in works they deny him. They profess him with the mouth, but in works they deny him. I'll be honest with you. I believe the mega church movement today, whatever you want to call it, the, the progressive church is primarily made up of unregenerate people. I believe that. And here's why. Because you can take any portion of Scripture and say, well, what about God said here? Oh, well, that's just an epistle. That's not doctrine. What about what God says about modesty in 1 Timothy 2 or uh, Titus? Well, that's not doctrine. Those are the commandments of Jesus Christ, thank you. I don't care about that. I only care about salvation. Well, there's something wrong with that. If he's my Savior, I should care about everything he says. What about his instruction concerning money in 1 Timothy chapter 6 or concerning the home in Ephesians chapter 5? Those don't count? No, they don't count. Those are preferential issues. You realize there's people today who claim to be Christians teaching that you can absolutely disregard the instruction of the epistles in the New Testament and that that's okay because that's not doctrine. I believe that's exactly the kind of people John is dealing with. They say, we know him, but they disregard his commandments with abandon and say, I know, the, I know what he said. I don't think that's what he said. And the idea is, in, in mouth they profess him, but in works they deny him. And so then, uh, and there's many people, this is why John wrote this, getting, there are people that are saved that are getting seduced by people like that. They, that are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, claiming to know him, but not keeping his commandments. They make a claim of knowledge, but their conduct denies that. And the conclusion is, John says, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's uh, a pretty straightforward. He says, he, uh, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. Verse, uh, verse 5. Now we come to a consequential course. And the, con- the, the contrast to verse 4 is verse 5. But, so there are those that say, I know him, but don't keep his commandments. But, whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Meaning, the more you keep his word, the more you grow in love for him. One step of obedience out of love for the Lord grows you and you say, hey, that gave me assurance. Hey, that that gave comfort and joy to my heart. I'll just say this, if you're born, born again... What brings you joy is obeying Christ. Now, there's a great conflict over that. Your flesh is going to fight that. The devil's going to fight that. You may wrestle with that. You have the commandment in front of you. You know it's there. The Spirit of God brings it back to your mind. You think, boy, what, how do I apply this commandment? How do you know that knowing how to apply the commandments is a learning process? But may I say this? You can keep his commandments while learning how to apply them. 
Yeah. You, you know, I can leave my home and leave my children and say, now, while we're gone, uh, I want you guys to clean up the house. That's a pretty general commandment, isn't it? Now, here's, here's the difference. Let's say uh, supper's done and your Jim F and I are gone. I just left, so, you know, before we get home, you guys tidy up the house. Now, some of them have tidied it up hundreds of times, so they know exactly what that means. Their mom and I have instructed them and showed them. They know exactly, they're mature children. They know what it means to tidy up the house. Some of them are still, you know, lost in sin and don't want to tidy up the house. So you have three groups. You have those that want to obey because they want to be obedient children. So they've already decided before supper's done. When supper's done, we're going to tidy up the house. They have a good experience in how to do that. You have a second group that uh, they're, they're commandment keepers as well. They're going to as well, but they don't know what all that entails, tidying up the house. But they're going to do it. Then you have a third group that says, you know what? While everybody else is tidying up the house, I'm going to go hide in the bathroom or in the basement so I don't have to tidy up the house. They represent the folks in verse 4. They say, oh, we are, we are obedient children to our parents, but if they're off hiding in the basement so that they can avoid obedience... Eh, something's wrong with that. And I want us to understand there's a group of, of the, in there that says, you know what, we want to obey mom and dad. So they go to tidy up the house and they grab all of their things and they go dump them under the bed. They're keeping the commandment, but they need to learn how. Young Christians often are pretty rugged in their obedience. You with me? And they have to learn and grow and be taught how to obey the Lord so keeping of the commandments is an issue of the heart. I think it's what I'm trying to drive home tonight that is reflected in the practice of the life. There are those who do not regard or care what Jesus Christ says. That has no bearing on their life, no grief over disobedience, no chastisement, nothing. They do not, nor will they ever keep his commandments. They are not, they don't know him. Now, but, verse 5, whoso keepeth his word, the person said, well, Jesus said do this. I'm not sure exactly how to get this incorporated, but I'm going to do it. The Lord told me to love my wife. I've got to figure out how to do that. And I'm going to start doing it the best way I know how and trust him to teach me. Whoso keepeth his word, that's the same as his commandment, in him barely uh, is the love of God perfected. You say, I want my, my love for the Lord to grow. First person says, I want assurance that I know him. Good, obey him. I want my love for him to grow. Obey him. Your love for Christ stopped growing at the last place you obeyed him. Period. Love is the expression, or excuse me, obedience is the expression of our love, but obedience is also the expansion of our love. You want to love the Lord more and, and be perfected in how you love Him, you do so by obeying Him. And by the way, if you keep His commandments, you are constantly got your eye on what He has to say. I don't believe His commandments are a one-time ritual. That's why I read the verse about circumcision. Keeping of His commandments is not a one-time ritual. It is a daily, ongoing thing we do. It is a, it is a way of life. It's not, that's why Paul says it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. You know what we want to do? We want a ritual so we can say, Okay, I obeyed. I'm done. I did it. I got baptized. I'm done. Now I can go do what I want. No, that's not keeping His commandments. Oh, good, good, I'm circumcised, now I'm good. No, keeping his commandments is I've always got my ear open for what he wants through his word, by his spirit, and I obey anything he says because I love him, and as I obey him, I love him more. And so then he says, whoso keepeth his, command, his word, 
in him verily, truly, the person that is hanging on to the commandments of Christ and saying, I'm going to obey that and applying it in their life, in him verily is the love of God perfected. And he'll talk more about the perfecting of God's love in 1 John chapter 4. The perfecting of his love means the removal of fear. Can I say this? If I have a sinful fear in my heart, that equals a lack of love in my heart. Perfect love casteth out all fear. It's true. If I am if I am perfected in my love, the more I know that the Lord loves me and the more I love him, the less I fear. Uh, and we'll talk more about that and speak more of that in 1 John chapter 4. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected here. He's going to say it again. Hereby know we that we are in him. You get the pattern? He's going to say it again. He says, there is a personal practice in verse 5, keeping his commandments. That brings personal perfecting. In him verily is the love of God perfected, meaning God's love is growing and maturing. You mature in your love for the Lord as you obey him. And then thirdly, it brings perfect uh, personal peace. Hereby know we that we are in him. Could anything be clearer? that our assurance of salvation is so directly connected to our obedience. You cannot, you cannot disconnect them. I remember these verses tearing me up as a teenager. I think I've referenced this to you before. Because I said that I knew him. He's, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. Boy, the Spirit of God bring that verse back to me. And I don't even remember hearing it preached. I just was aware of the verse. And the Lord would say, you say you know me and you know that I told you to honor your parents and you know that you're not honoring your parents. Now, are you a liar or are you going to keep my commandments? And it was that clear in my conscience. Either you truly believe in me and you must obey me or you're a fraud. It's that straight in the Bible, by the way. It's that straight in the Bible. If we love him, we must keep his commandments. And the Spirit of God worked that on my heart and worked that on me. And there came a point where I thought, I cannot denounce that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is. I cannot. If I did that, I'm going to have to abandon all of mathematics because it's as true as any other thing I know to be true. As any physical fact I have, I know that the Bible is true. And I know, you know why I know the Bible is true? It reads me truer than anything else. Nothing gets to the heart of who I really am like this book. So only God could do that. And what I'm trying to say is this. If I'm in disobedience tonight, friend, you've got to answer something. If there is willful disobedience to Christ in your life, you're either a fraud or you need to obey. One of the two. May I say this? Lack of assurance of salvation is connected to disobedience and disregard for his commandments. That's it. You say, but I don't know how to obey. Start. Whoso keepeth his word, verily in him is the love of God perfected. Just start. Wouldn't, wouldn't failing at obedience be better than disobedience? Isn't failed obedience better than disregard? There's a difference, isn't there? I tried to obey and I'm imperfect in my obedience. You'll get perfected, you'll get it, but you'll never be perfected in love and obedience if you don't do it, if you don't obey. And so then, praise God for the promise of perfecting and peace in those that keep His commandments. The distinction here is not... Those who are believers are not the distinction here. There are those who will not keep his commandments, yet say they know him. And then there are those who keep his commandments, and in them, you know what he's saying? The person that keeps his commandments, it's evident they know him. Because his love is perfected through their obedience. Now, that's the consequential course. We've seen a condition of confidence, verse 3. 
a contradictory communication, verse 4, a consequential course in verse 5, and then finally a consistent conformity, verse 6. This stuff's not rocket science. It's black and white. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Meaning if you abide in him, you've got to be like him. It's that simple. If you're abiding in him, then you're going to be like him. It'd be like this. You say, um, so yesterday I drove to Spokane, looked at the little van out here. Uh, if someone says, oh, I was with, I was with uh, a pastor yesterday. So where are you? Where were you? So oh, I was over in Kalispell all day. The pastor, where were you yesterday? Oh, I was in Spokane yesterday. And the two of you were together? And I say, no. And they say, oh, yeah, we were together all day. That, that can't be. If you were with me, you'd had to be in Spokane. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I was, I've been with you all along. Isn't that confusion? There are people that say, I abide in Christ, and they're nothing like him. They don't talk like him. They don't think toward God like him. There are those that have this attitude. Unless I have to obey God, I'm going to do it my way. That is nothing like Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. There's an attitude that prevails today. I was hearing some pastors talk about this this week. Very good conversation they had around this subject of, uh, of, of this radical liberty and this licentiousness that's being passed off as the grace of God, as Peter and Jude said it would in the last days by apostates. It's apostates that teach it, not heretics, apostates, men who don't even know God, but they say they do. And they were talking about this issue of how people claim to know the Lord and, and yet don't live for the Lord, and they made a tremendous point. They said it ends up with these folks, it's all about me. I have a right to do this. I want to do this. And God, nowhere in the Bible does it say I can't. I've said this many, many times, but if my disposition is this, well, um, why can't I do such and such? I'm already in sin. I'm already not abiding in Christ. Did Jesus ever say, well, why can't I drink alcohol? Why, why can't I commit fornication? Why can't I? You know what the basis of that is? Here's what I want. Is anything going to forbid me from doing what I lust after? If that's the heart, that's not the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is, I do always those things that please Him. I don't want to do the things that displease Him. I want to please the Father. And if we're like Christ, we want to please the Savior. That's not what we were when he saved us. We wanted to please ourselves, but he changed us, put a new nature in us, and he that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Meaning we ought to live in submission, not rebellion, not bucking against the words of Scripture, but soaking them up and saying, how can I apply this in my life? Not saying, well, unless you can prove to me that that verse says I'm going to do this, I'm going to do my own thing and be like all of them unless you can show me I don't have to. That is not like him. The Christ, uh, the Bible, the Christianity of the Bible is a cross-bearing Christianity. Not a self-promoting Christianity. Not a self-pleasing. There's no, do you realize self-pleasure Christianity? Those is, that's like saying dry water, dark light. Christianity, the, it is the, it, you cannot live for self and follow Christ. He died to self. And so are we. Why did he die to self? Just, was it asceticism? Was it just to say, oh, I'm a great self-denier? You don't need to go starve yourself and live in a cave someplace. We deny ourselves that we might obey him. 
There are times that we want one thing and He wants another. And because we know He is the propitiation for our sins, because we know we didn't pay our own sin debt, we are compelled to live lives of obedience. See, getting a hold of who the propitiation for our sins is leads us into keeping His commandments. It's the love of Christ that constraineth us. I remember being liberated as a teenager from... It's not, I don't have to. No one's making me serve the Lord. I'm a fool if I don't. That's the difference. And if obedience is, ah, do I have to live a life of obedience? Not unless you want to. But if we abide in Him, we'll walk as He walked. If we're with Him, we're going to be like Him. Let me read just a couple of verses to conclude. Romans 8, 29. We love verse 28, and so we should. And we know that all things work together for good to them that, Love God. Every time I hear love God, I see in my mind, keep his commandments. They are equivalent terms. I'll just say it again. A person says they love God and is not keeping his commandments. I'll just repeat what God says. He's a liar. To love God is to keep his commandments. Right? So, uh, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be what? conformed to the image of his son as we abide here's here's another equivalent of term what does abiding in christ mean obeying him first john makes that so simple these are interchangeable terms abiding in him is obeying him obeying him is keeping his commandments and as we obey him we become like him we conform to him and what john says here's a test he that saith, he abideth in him person says oh yes i'm abiding in the doctrine of christ i believe jesus is the son of god are you obeying him? No, no, I don't care what he's doing. You know, he said this. I don't care. I'm going to do it this way. And so he's not in any way conforming to him. If we are truly abiding, then we are conforming to him. He that saith he abideth him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. When we're dealing with walk, are we talking about just a belief of the heart or the practice of the life? Our walk is what we do. That's what we do. There are many today who make claims of close fellowship with the Lord Jesus. But they they and their lives are so different and opposite. They do not walk as he walked. They do not love the enemy. They do not live sanctified lives unto God. They do not deny self in order to do what's right. That's, he says, we ought to walk as he walked. If we're abiding, that's the, that's the test. So the profession that's made, verse 6, he that saith, he abideth in him. The pattern... As even as he walked, Jesus Christ is the pattern. And the principle is, if we're walking in him and abiding in him, we'll walk like him. We'll conform to him. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. I think there's a subtle doctrine that has crept in among God's people, and that is, because I'm saved by grace, I need not concern myself with being like the Lord Jesus in my conduct. I read years ago, and many of you have probably read it, um, the book uh, In His Steps, right? Now, I think the book In His Steps is written on a wrong premise. It gives the idea that you obtain salvation by being like Jesus. Jesus did not come to give us a good example whereby we could obtain salvation. He came to give himself a sacrifice and purchase us through his shed blood and broken body. But once he's done that... It's a matter of order. Once we've been purchased, then yes, we are to conform to him and be in his steps and to be like him. And so in many, I think this subtle thinking in our life, well, Jesus is perfect. Nobody can be like him. And so I have to think about conforming to him or being like him. 
But no, that's, that's, that's our job. If we abide in him, we're to walk as he walked. Luke chapter 6, verse 40 says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect, so the complete, the mature person, everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. What's the mark of spiritual perfection or growth or maturity? Conformity. There are those you would never know that they knew Jesus except they make a profession. They not only say they know him, they say they are saints in the Lord, well-seasoned and ready to instruct the rest of the world on how to be Christians. And they curse like the devil or like a sailor. They, they live immoral lives. They watch and do whatever they please. Instead of living to please God, they're living licentious, lustful lives. And then saying, I'm a Christian. Is that new or has that been going on for a couple thousand years? I mean, I say this. These people out there today are the seducers of our day. If someone came up to you and said, kids, I, hey, look, we want all you kids to go and uh, we're going to get you to join the occult and we're going to go do a human sacrifice and worship the devil and tell him that he's greater than God. Anybody want to take part in that? No. But what if we said, you're being taught that you're saved by grace through faith and because of that, that that is the expression of God's love for you and the way you show love for him is living a life of obedience to him, not living to do what you want, but living to do what he wants. That is a very restrictive life. You're not under the law. You don't have to do what he wants. Because God loves you, he wants you happy. And the only way you can be happy is if you do what you want. And you can love Jesus and do what you want all at the same time. Is that a little more appealing than let's go have a human sacrifice and worship the devil? But I got news for you. The second one's more satanic than the first one. He doesn't come and say, let's go drink somebody else's blood. He says, you can be saved and live however you please. Now, living however he pleases didn't save you. He saved you by his own shed blood. But if he did that, why would you not want to please him? Amen? And John's dealing with the seducers of his day, and the seducers of our day are no different. In, in their mouths they profess to know him, but in their works they deny him. And John says, no, that's not so. If you abide in him then you should conform to him, follow in his steps. We are to be as our master. You know what? Someone say, how can I test my... Because he's going to talk to, to spiritual development. He's going to speak to young men. He's going to speak to little children. He's going to speak to aged men. And that's in the spiritual context in First John chapter 2 as he deals with the family of God. You know, what would distinguish the little children from the young men, from the aged men? Levels of conformity to Christ. See, I want to have a good test on... How mature am I? Look at Christ and say, how different am I than he? I remember at times reading my Bible and saying, I know that's right. I know what the Lord Jesus says on that is right. I know that it's more blessed to give than to receive, but I'll be honest with you, I like receiving more than giving. Truth? Talking about flesh. But I read that and say, well, then you know what that tells me? I got a lot of growing to do. Because I know I should love giving more than receiving. And I know that's what Jesus is. He laid down his life for us. I know I'm supposed to love my enemies, but I want to knock their teeth out. Well, that just tells me where I'm at in my spiritual development, doesn't it? I know that I am to always do those things that please him. But boy, there's a lot of things in my life that don't please him. You know what I should do then? Step back and say, well, then I'm just a babe and I need to grow. 
I need to soak up his word. I need to meditate on his commandments and throw my whole being in obeying the one who is the propitiation for my sins. Make sense tonight? Our keeping of his commandments is directly connected to our assurance and our spiritual growth. And there are those who say, I know him and I abide in him, but they won't do what he says and they're nothing like him. And we need to, we need to be aware of those people and say, you know what? That's not true. That's not the influence. If Christ is my Savior and he's the one that loves me, I show my love for him by obeying him. And by that obedience, I grow in my love for him. And by growing in love for him, I'm growing into maturity and conformity to him. God is love, is he not? Genuine love. And as we grow, we'll be the same. Not, not self-centered, not seeking our own, but seeking his will and seeking the benefit of others. Mm-hmm.